Welcome to Celluloid Citizens, a podcast about film. I'm Sean M. Thompson. And I'm Gemma Files. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing The Gnashing. No, um, it's okay. It's <laughs> called Pines on Tubi. It's on IMDb as The Gnashing, but it's a, uh, let's just call it Pines for the sake yeah. of argument. Uh, what was this, 2018? Um, I believe so. Um, well, anyway. Written and directed by Anthony Pierce. It's interesting because it says that it's written and directed by Una Blade on uh, the back credits of really? the film. Really? Okay, there's a lot of discrepancies then. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in any case, though, good movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Una Blade is the main character in the film, um, Claire. So... Yeah, so that would make sense that she maybe wrote it or directed some of it. Yep. Um, so we agreed before recording, uh, it's sort of a non-linear film, so it doesn't entirely make sense to go beat for beat from start to finish. Yep, that's absolutely true. Um, I was thinking about it, I, uh, you've seen it once, yep. and I've seen it twice, and the second time that I saw it was today. So I'm working off of. Yeah, so Gemma has it. a much more um, complete memory and you know information about it. I'm sort of going off of a, a watch I did at three in the morning. Yep. I think two weeks ago. So. Yeah, I think some something like that. And you were saying that you thought that it would benefit from you thinking about it as a weird dream you had. Yeah, because it sort of has that quality to it as a film. Um, yeah, it definitely does. Um, this time around, I was thinking about whether or not it was as nonlinear as I believed it ha it was. And what I think is going on here is that a lot of the nonlinear stuff that we see is her memory breaking into things. That's true, yeah. And, yeah. and it's not so much that there are two um, streams of time, it's more like the past can break in at any moment and uh, it's commenting on what's happening currently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did know that um, I figured the, there's stuff with an old man she's taken care of who seems to be terminally ill. I figured That's that right. was all memory. Um, but, yeah. But the actual, what seemed to be um, the, for lack of a better term, present day action seemed to be a bit nonlinear. In terms of maybe she's losing time. I think she is losing time. Um, definitely there's a jump at a certain point where you go, oh, you lost a bunch of time here. <laughs> you know, it's like obviously something happened. You can't remember what it, would, what it is maybe because of, you know, drugs or alcohol or something like that. Um, or trauma. Maybe yeah, all three. Yeah, could be all three, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but the weird part is going back over it, um, the forward moving part of it, the, the forward motion of yeah. it is less nonlinear than you believe it to be the first time you see it. That's true. I mean, I'm sure if I watched it again, I'd have a better kind of, um, overall sense of it. Yeah. So I, I think, um, the best way to 
describe the general shape of pines is as a, a backwoods noir. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what sort of noir it is, is becomes debatable after a certain point. But yeah, so we have Claire, um, who is a caregiver um, and appears to have just finished a stint um, helping uh, Michael Parks's character, uh, whose name is Harrison. Yeah. Um, he's probably got terminal lung cancer. Um, and he, during the, the parts where she's talk, thinking about him, he appears to be um, winding down uh, and waiting for a moment where he can sort of consent to his own euthanasia. Yeah. Uh, and, you, you kind of don't realize that until a little ways in. That's right. I mean, initially, I just thought it was a, you know, more or less typical kind of um, hospice care situation. That's right. But no, actually, um, actually, that is what is going on. And uh, again, this sort of comes up as commentary uh, on the forward moving action. Um, it's like this moment of her going, you know, I really loved that guy. I really thought that guy was amazing. That was such a such a wonderful experience. And then I had to kill him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, yeah. That's that's got to be a rough. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm not sure of the legality of it, but. Uh, um, I mean, it depends where it's taking place. I guess basically. it depends where it is taking place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, again, what what area are we in? Someplace with pines. Um it sort of has an Appalachian quality to it. I was going to say, I was thinking something in the Appalachians, but it's not, I don't think anyone ever outright says, you know, what state they're in. No, not at all. No. Um, in, indeed, this is a film which is told in a lot of ways as a series of lacunae. You know, it's like, what happens between here and here? We don't know. We skipped over that. You know, you're going to have to figure it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a film you're, where you have to do a lot of, um, you have to do a lot of inference and you kind of have to fill in the gaps yourself. Yes, exactly. And if you're not up for that, then uh, do that because that's the kind of film it is and it will continue to be that kind of film. Um, and I like Sid a lot. I, I definitely have seen Ronnie Blevins in something before, but I, couldn't remember what I'd seen him in. Ronnie Jean Blevins, yeah. yeah. Um, I I was a fan of a show called Outsiders that ran for two seasons, which was very much uh, in in the Appalachians, um, in like coal mining count country, um, and it was all these people who lived up in the backwoods on the mountain. And he struck me as being like a guy who could have appeared on that show. <laughs> like really yeah, easily. yeah. I did really love, um, there's definitely a Laird Baron-esque quality to, I mean, a lot of this film. But, oh, holy shit. But yes. definitely in particular one scene where she first meets the um, these people in the house. Yeah, that's and right. And it's just like everybody's just chain smoking and looking yeah. very unwelcoming 
Yeah, chain smoking. Um, they look like uh, they've been practicing as part of a band, yeah. you know, and they they look like, you know, hard bitten mountain folk. But one of them is completely tattooed all over his body, including uh, he has what look like Maori tattoos on his face. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's uh, it, it is interesting. I mean, you know, and later uh, Sid uh, pulls out what looks like some shine. And makes your drink from it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, it's scene. it's very kind of, it's not quite deliverance levels, but it, it's it's definitely backwoods. Yeah, definitely backwoods, you know. And and her sister, when she's talking to her over the phone, says at one point, "It's about forty miles from where we grew up, out in the backwoods." Um, you remember, Dad used to tell us about that place. More or less, you know. don't go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. More or less, don't go. And and Sid himself says, um, "You you should never come up here again unless you're invited, because uh, people up here they're crazy and they mainly want to be left alone." You know, I might be recognizing him from he was in that third Conjuring movie. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. Which I didn't love, yes. but he was in it. I I actually got to love it um, a lot more, I think, than anybody else that I've spoken to. But I have my own reasons for that. Um, but yeah, that indeed was Ronnie Jean Blevins. That's hilarious. He's he's the guy who gets killed. He's the guy who gets murdered. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The dude, the dude who's like, yeah, I went to see Blondie. They were amazing. What's funny is I'm going through his listing and he's been in stuff I've seen. Like he was... He's had these little bit parts and also like he was in True Detective season three, mm -hmm. and um, apparently that was 2015. So that must have been the first season. Mm. Um, but he's been in a couple other things, yeah. No, yep, makes a lot of sense. Okay, so all right, so basically, we come to realize that Claire has just tied off this. Mm, this job with Harrison um, and near the end of it, she begins to think, I guess, about her life. And uh, she's, she's worried about this boyfriend that she has, Jack, who, you know, and her sister, again, her sister Mandy at one point says, you are always so stupid about that guy. You know, Jack is not a good boyfriend. He's, uh, He's the kind of guy who tends to disappear for a while. Uh, he appears to be into drugs. He yeah. probably drinks too much. He might um, have a gambling problem, but I'm not sure. Might have a gambling problem, yes. Um, you know, and just hangs around with, with the wrong kind of people. Yeah, I mean, like, for whatever reason, he's he's interacting with people that you don't want to owe money to. No, you definitely, I, I don't think you want to owe anything to them. But, you know, they, cause, especially because they won't tell you what it is you owe. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, that is a problem. Anyway, so um, so basically Claire is like, uh, she's told Harrison ab about Jack. And um, and so near, so immediately after this job, she starts trying to find out where Jack is. And uh, Mandy ends up, her sister Mandy ends up, um, phoning her and telling her, okay, so here's what I heard, um, which is that if you go up to this house in the pines, this cabin, it's 
possible that you might find out where Jack is. Um, but these people are nuts, and I would not personally do that if I were you. Right. Um, this then Claire does. <laughs> and it's, it's, an, it's an interesting, I mean, it's a very noirish mm, story point. Um, and well, because you more or less know nothing good is going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And it just and sort also, of doubles down on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, at so many points along the curve, um, Claire is acting as though her, <laughs> uh, at, at one point we see, uh, the keys that she uses in her car and they have a huge love sign on them and a picture of Jack. And, uh, it's kind of, you know, bedazzled. Yeah. And I, I get the feeling that, you know, she kind of feels like, well, if I just go into this with pure intentions, people are going to understand that I'm doing this out of love for Jack and everything will just work out. Yeah. She and... sort of has that, um, I can't think of another word except naivete of like, well, it does. I mean, they might kill people, but as long as I'm polite, maybe they'll give him back. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting kind of, um, you know, later Sid, Ronnie Jean Blevins calls her a selfish twat um, because she just keeps asking for Jack. She just, keeps asking where Jack is and wanting to know where Jack is and, you know, what do I have to do to get Jack? Yeah, it's um, very much like a very angry bear, and she somehow survived the first encounter, and then yeah, she exactly. just keeps going back, thinking yeah, that things will be better. Yeah, absolutely, but, but in a weird way, it's like she's acting out of a certain type of faith, and they're acting out of a, and everybody else is acting out of a completely different type of faith. And when I say that, um, so she goes up to the cabin the first time, you know, talks to Sid. Um, Sid does not believe that uh, Jack told her to come up to the cabin and wait for him. Um, why would he? Why would he do such a thing? <laughs> you know? um, but uh, but he's kind of yeah okay, <laughs> um, and warns her and is more pleasant to her than he otherwise might be. Um, yeah. She goes back to the, uh, to the motel where she's been uh, working out of um, and uh, where she's seen um, these weird looking guys. Yeah, they, who sort they of look, look like, like they might be in a motorcycle gang or maybe a heavy metal band, but they, or maybe a heavy metal um, motorcycle gang. Yeah. I mean, they <laughs> yeah. break legs clearly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they're like right across from her. And so she's seeing these people go in and out all the time. At one point, they seem to uh, try her, her door. The yeah, door it's frustrating as an audience member because you're like, well, I guess yeah. this is the classic horror movie scenario. Why are yeah. you still there? Just leave. Well, you're there because you're looking for Jack. Right. I mean, so, I know why, but it's, it's yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. We're, we're introduced to more and more threats and she's just sort of oblivious yes, to them. Exactly. So Mandy phones her back again and says, okay, well, I found this guy, Rusty, um, who says that there's a, there's usually a party, 
that happens like every week and Jack is usually there and Rusty will be coming by to um, to take you to the party. And Claire's like, okay. So gets into the gets into the truck with this dude, Rusty, um, who's this big black bearded dude. Um, sort of like a, a lower level kind of um, fuck up. <laughs> yeah. He seems to hang around with many of the same people. Um, and they go to this party and everyone waiting outside the party is from that group that's across the, <laughs> across from her at the motel. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she, Rusty takes her inside. At first he's told he can't come inside because there's business to be talked about and they're putting this on lock. But then he manages to get her inside. And as she walks inside, Sid's in the middle um, telling this story about how he killed a dude in prison. With a pen, yes. With a pen, yes. I remember I asked you, do you think someone could do that? And we had like a 15, 20 minute conversation about whether it would work. Yeah, well, it would. (laughs) Yeah, you you explained, yeah, punching, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, punch. Don't stab. Punch. <laughs> That's what but I was. In any case, yeah, it's not not the best way. You know, maybe not mm-hmm. the friendliest uh, conversation to walk in on. That's how yeah. I stabbed a guy in prison with a pen. Yeah, and I just thought I'd tell you about that because I think you're asking me something that I am totally disinterested in giving you. <laughs> what I like about the vibe, though, is like you get the sense he's so sort of shocked that she keeps coming back that he actually like doesn't necessarily want to hurt her because he's just so entertained by the fact that like this person keeps coming back. Yeah. This person who's totally not qualified to be around any of these people. Right. Like I get the sense if it was someone like if it was some other guy, he would have killed him by now, but he's just so entertained by the fact this woman keeps coming back. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, um, so basically this is like a face off that Sid is having with this, with this other dude who seems to be the, uh, hmm. we later find out his name is, uh, Mills Maddox, um, known as Zephyr. Um, and he's the head of this group, the motorcycle, the motorcycle heavy metal band, um, group. Um, and, uh, actually as they find out, as she later finds out, he thinks of himself as a Satanist and a cult leader, um, or, or, you know, just a meth cooker, <laughs> who knows, and just can't, just got out of, uh, just got out of jail, which is probably why Sid is telling him this story in the first place. Um, and, uh, so he leans across the table and says to Sid, you know what you owe me. And he, and he just like walks out. And leaving Claire. Um, and Sid's like, sit down, have some shine. Okay, so uh, I'm going to give it to you straight. Um, this is what's going on. Uh, your, you know, your man uh, has made some bad choices. And he owes, he's accrued a lot of debts. He owes stuff to the wrong people. Um and I'm not paying for it anymore. Are you? And she's like, what, what's the, what are the debts? And he's like, nah, you don't get to know about that. Yes or no. And she says, I'll pay. 
And everything in the rest of the film spins out of that. Out of that moment where she, on faith, out of love, I guess, um, decides that she's going to take on um, Jack's debts. Yeah. Um, not a great idea. No, it's not. You know, it's like it's it's whenever somebody will not tell you what the debt is, don't take on that debt. <laughs> I know. It's not even like she hears it's, I don't know, $100,000. Like, oh, no, yeah. it's, we literally even don't know what it is. We don't even know if it's money. Well, no, I mean, it seems like your soul, maybe. Yeah, I think the implication, having seen the film, obviously, is that it's a soul. Yeah, but even then, I mean, this was like 20 minutes into the film, basically. And even then, the first time I saw it, I was like, are you talking about souls? <laughs> you know? Because it's it has that um, it has that Silver John kind of thing to it. That um, that idea that, you know, here we are moving into almost fairy tale country. Yeah, I was going to say, what I like about the film is that, I mean, it clearly doesn't spell anything out for you. It, no. It does to a point, but it doesn't ever outright say, she sold her soul to this smoke monster that this Satanist cult uh, conjured up. Mm -hmm. I sort of inferred it might be that, but even that, it, it might not be that. Or she owes her soul to the smoke monster. She owes her soul to it, yeah. But it's it's definitely, I like I think the word fractured comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did like I think that I what I think about the uh, the style is I think it's supposed to be mirroring her mental state, like she might be in some sort of fugue state or even just like highly traumatized to the point where memory and um, linear thinking is damaged yeah absolutely it's like she's trying she's got all this stuff in her brain and she's trying to put it in the right order yeah. and yeah you know what is how did i get damaged what is this thing that damaged me how did i how did i end up where i am and you may say to yourself well how did i get here yeah you know this is this is this is always the question right these are not my beautiful teeth yeah <laughs> Uh, that is one of my favorite parts of this film, since we're going to be hopping around. Um, yes. There's a point where she, I don't remember if she wakes up or if she just kind of stumbles into this area. But there's just many, many human teeth on the ground. That have obviously been pulled out. Right. That, I mean, have, yeah. That yeah. Have been, They're broken. They've got blood at the tips. You know? <laughs> yeah, which is not the best thing to find if you're lost in the woods. No, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that you wouldn't want to I mean, find. We're not talking four either. This is like, yeah, this is like probably three people's worth of teeth. Yeah, yeah, at least three people's worth of teeth. Um, could be more. <laughs> I I have this strange idea that possibly when you're all out of teeth is when they start talking about souls. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, who knows? Um. You know, but I mean, maybe by that yeah, point when, you're like, "Oh fuck it, just go!" Like I'm so done with this. Yeah, exactly. Um, the uh, you know, to to wind back for a second, 
um, one of the reasons that I, one of the other reasons that I started thinking about souls um, is because there's an obvious callback, um, a visual callback to the whole Marcellus Wallace's um, briefcase thing um, from uh, Pulp Fiction, but also um, the uh, the thingamajigger that's inside of you know could be could be a nuclear bomb, could be something else that's um, in uh, uh, that's in a, a briefcase at the end of. Um, Oh God, what's that Mickey Spillane film? Mm. Uh, at any rate, it's it's the one that essentially Tarantino was riffing off of, ah, because yes. um, immediately after having uh, made this vow to Sid, Sid takes her upstairs and shows her Jack, and like lets her into, you know. Um, a room where there's all this beautiful, almost sun-like light spilling out of, and and Jack is inside that room, and you can tell because she's like Jack, and you know Sid like shuts the door. Yeah. And yeah, um, it isn't until much much later that you realize what happens immediately after that which is that she and Jack must have gone out into the woods and, you know, to tell those people that uh, she was taking on his debt. Um, and everything and everything that happens after that comes out of that meeting in the woods. Yeah. Um, but we don't get that part of the timeline until much, much later. Yeah, there's sort of a, a memento, the Nolan film quality to it, where yes. I mean, one of my favorite parts is she uh, comes upon a, a guy more or less locked in a cage yeah. in this old warehouse, and he goes something to the effect of, your feet really must hurt. Yeah. And she finally, because she's been, just hasn't even realized, she takes her shoes and socks off, and there are like huge cuts on the top of her feet. Yep. That's right. Um, they've carved X's on the tops of her feet, um, which reminded me of two things. Uh, the first one is that in medieval um, Gnostic, well, some Gnostic cults, but let's say Luciferian cults. Yeah. Um, people used to carve uh, crosses on the bottoms of their feet so that they could be trampling the cross all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, uh, the guy in the guy behind the door is Rusty, actually, oh, okay. uh, the yeah, dude from the right. party. And, um, she says, well, what's that supposed to mean? And he says, it means you're the payment. Um, I guess like the payment for Jack's debt. Yeah. But it also gives you a sense of how discombobulated she is, because I think I'd I mean, a regular person in a more or less regular mental state, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be running around. You'd be like, holy shit, my feet. Yeah. Oh, God, my feet. I, I get the feeling that when she wakes up in the woods, um, that after that jump, that uh, which basically happens immediately after uh, she sees Jack yeah. in, in the room, um, 
that she must be hurting all over. It's a, it's a very traumatic moment. Uh, we get quick cuts of a bunch of different things. There's, there's blood all over her. There's blood on the trees. Um, she sort of, she's, she's spread out in a way that almost makes you think like she's been raped. Um, and we do, in fact, get a very, very short jolt of uh, the wounds in the tops of her feet. Yeah, that's but true. That's we don't. True. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it obviously when she when she comes back to um, consciousness, she's just like, what the fuck happened to me? You know, I just hurt everywhere. That's true. I guess the. I guess if she's in so much pain, she wouldn't yeah. really narrow out a single yeah. area. Also, I think she's like, running for her life, so that's probably the back of her mind. Exactly. It's like, oh no, my feet. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, what I love about this film is it, it obviously doesn't seem like it was a big uh, budget. No. Um, it more or less seems like there was a passionate writer-filmmaker who knew a bunch of leather-clad metalheads to use. Yeah, as... and a bunch of other passionate people. Right, um, and because, they just had know, some woods and an old warehouse and a house, and there you go. Yeah, I mean, nobody's, uh, nobody's phoning it in, let's put it that way. No, you know, no. it's, like, it's beautifully put together. Um, and yeah, you know, a lot of that is juxtaposition. Um, a lot of that comes from, you know, layering... Um, Layering voice over image, um, layering of sound effects. Um, if you can't afford to show something, right. you just do it off screen and you see Una Blade reacting to it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, the um, editing is very good as well. Editing is amazing. Um, you know, but just so beautifully put together. And so, you know, as you say, um, because from the beginning, we're seeing it through Claire's eyes. And through the, you know, through the lens of her trauma, the shattered lens of her trauma, um, it works. It works perfectly. Um, and again, it's very noirish because noir has always played with perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen The Lady in the Lake, um, which is a particular noir, which is literally done from the point of view of the main character. Uh, no, I mean, I'm not very, um, yeah, I would say my, my noir a, knowledge kind of ends around the sixties. Yeah. So it's like a, it's like a Chandler, um, you know, like a Chandler yeah, uh, yeah. eye investigation kind of thing. And, uh, but the, but the camera is this guy. And so the only time that you see this guy is if he's looking in, in a mirror or if he's reflected somewhere I think else. I've seen scenes from that. I don't think I've seen the whole film though. Yes. Um, the film itself is not like the best thing in the world, not least because of that playing with perspective thing. I think you I think that's not a perspective that you can keep to forever. It's like maybe you can keep to it for half an hour, but you can't do it for, you know. You know I will say um, one movie I saw that did it, but I think part of that was the tone of it. Uh, Hardcore Henry. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right was I think it worked as first person the whole thing, but the whole vibe is that it's supposed to be like a video game and it's like 
It's like a live yeah. action video game. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the guy's like a cyborg. So, yeah, you know. yeah. So that works. But if so, it, I guess yeah, I, you know, I could it, see it, if it's, it's supposed a to be like, a, a detective story and a noir story that could yeah, maybe. Exactly. And also, you know, it's it, older, so yeah. And it's not like the H S you know, 94 or whatever, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, where it's like, oh, well, Timo Chahanto is, uh, you know, shooting this from the point of view of a woman who's literally had her head replaced by a camera, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a completely different thing. Um, but like I said, because we've been introduced through Claire's splintered, um, you know, post-traumatic, perspective it's a little easier for us to accept and also because we're seeing her and we're not seeing through her right i was gonna say it's it's important that we can see you know it's not true first person uh pov it's not like in the beginning of um jesus i'm gonna blank on the name of it now too uh gaspar noe's oh yeah into the void right yes or Indeed, uh, the beginning of um, the Frederick March version of um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where we get like a good 10 minutes of, of that guy's perspective. And then, yeah, I mean, I, like you said, I think it can work. I don't know if it can always work all the way through yet because it, it sort of depends on the thematic and uh, – things and on the genre but it can be effective for short bursts okay so she wakes up in the she wakes up in the woods um jack's not there um she expects him to be there uh and she ends up um essentially hiding you know searching around uh she finds a car she gets into the car it's somebody else's car um discovers uh pictures of herself uh polaroids of like herself and someone um in the background who might be jack um and a whole bunch of people who've had their teeth taken out like pictures close-ups of their toothless yeah i mean forgive me if i'm blanking but this isn't period right this set this is taking place like nowadays I would say definitely take a place. I want to say there's a part with a cell phone. Yeah, exactly. She, uh, when she gets into the car, she realizes there's a place to charge her cell phone. That's right. So she, so she starts trying to charge her cell phone. Um, almost immediately, however, uh, the people who actually own the car come back and she realizes it, it's the motorcycle people. Um, so, uh, or the hairband people. Yeah. Um, she gets in the back. Uh, the back is all covered in um, in plastic, <laughs> sort of like they're <laughs> they're uh, you know getting ready to kill somebody back there. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of teeth. Yeah, it's there. a super grimy, like like grimy as hell. I just get the sense everything reeks of blood and cigarettes. Quite likely, um, there's an actual severed head, not like not severed head, like a shrunken head. Um, hanging from the uh, hanging from the rearview mirror. That's true. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, so she's she's in the back looking around, and then they come back, and she has to you know hide herself. So she's like crouching in the back, um, manages to get a hold of her cell phone before they can see it. Um, 
it starts to ring uh, or buzz rather, and she manages to get a hold of it. Um, and she's just kind of trapped back there as this guy revs up the car and you know starts blasting doom metal yeah. and <laughs> and um and driving someplace and uh she is you know so she's taken along for the ride um they end up outside of this building or bunch of buildings that almost looks like a decommissioned mental hospital maybe yeah something like that yeah and um She's already discovered that, you know, they are a meth cooking cult because when she woke up in the uh, in the woods, she was next to a uh, the remains of a of a fire. And next to the teeth was a newspaper with a, a big article about this dude, about Zephyr. Yeah. The, the guy who leads the cult. Um, but, you know, so she. She gets out of the car when they all go off into the woods together um, and starts towards the building, realizes that Jack's truck is there, starts yelling, Jack, and, you know, honking the horn, which I personally would not do if I was in that <laughs> that, uh, that position. Um, it's fair. Gets in gets into the car, into the truck, finds a baseball bat and a flashlight and starts exploring the building. That's when she finds Rusty. I mean, that part's very Silent Hill to me, having played a couple of them, because it's like, you found the <laughs> flashlight. You found the bat. Yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, uh, she tries to break Rusty out um, from the tunnels that he's stuck in, um, but she can't break the lock on the door Um I do love that aspect as well. That it's, it's not just, yeah, that he's locked in a little, um, it's not that he's just locked in a little area. Like there's weird tunneling that goes back and you don't even know where. Yeah. It and actually he, he has escaped and managed to make it from one building to the other through these tunnels. But now he can't open the door because his, because his, uh, his hands are tied and, and right, the door yeah. is, yeah, so, um, you know, she actually does try to, to break him out, even though he has behaved like an asshole. Um, but the people come back. Um, she has to run and hide. Then when she comes back, the door is open, but he's not there anymore. They've obviously taken him out. Um, and she goes, she looks down into the tunnels. The tunnels look very weird. And I got to say, the... The inside of this building looks very weird. Generally, there's a lot of strange sounds, yeah. a lot of whispering. Um, things seem to be moving around, like shadows seem to be moving around. Yeah, it's very Session 9. It's very Session 9, but I would also say it's a bit like they've, they've tried to turn the entire thing into a place of worship, a place of satanic worship. Um, and, you know, there's a gigantic black goat um, head uh, on one wall, for example, and yeah. um, like drawn on the wall. And uh, at one point she walks past a sign that says, hell. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit on the nose. <laughs> uh, yeah. And a lot of weird graffiti. And it's almost like they're trying to create a hell on earth. Or like a place that impinges on hell. 
Yeah. Now, yeah. is this is this performative, um, or is this kind of real? Is this kind of true? It, and it's an interesting kind of thing to ask because, I mean, it sort of makes sense to make a meth cooking gang into your cult. You know, right. if you yeah, I mean, they're not all there. If if you can get people to do things for you that are kind of horrible, um, that you it know, it helps and, to get people that are messed up on drugs. Yeah, exactly. People who are messed up on drugs, people who are depressed, people who are you know who are outsiders, people who um, you know are willing to believe all sorts of ridiculous shit. People whose um, band has stopped touring for a while. <laughs> exactly. It's it's true that one dude really does look like that, doesn't he? Doesn't he? <laughs> you know the guy who's the guy whose car she gets into. <laughs> you know he's a good-looking guy with like long blonde hair. <laughs> you know, nice beard. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, I, did, and, I did think it was funny because you know I, I think maybe to some people that would. I mean, it's obviously intimidating, but to me, I'm just like it looks like a lot of people I'd see at basement shows around Boston. So yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, uh, she goes upstairs, uh, looks out through the windows, um, sees them dragging Rusty out. Um, and, you know, he gives her up like immediately, like that immediately. You know, it's like Claire's in the building. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, she doesn't remember anything. <laughs> and uh, but it doesn't they, matter. They yeah, they still cap him. Yeah, they still cap him, you know. I do. Like, I love uh, that scene. I, I, I'm a sucker for that sort of like you're with the POV character and they're inside a building and you yep. can't quite see very well, but you can get a sense of what's happening. I really love that style of shot. Yeah, exactly. So Zephyr like whips out a machete. And, or no, I'm um, sorry. He doesn't get shot. Yeah, he gets like his head chopped off. Yeah, yeah. It it sort of looked like that. Um, either they cut his throat or they actually chop his head off. Um, and it might not it might not even be a machete. It sort of almost looks like a kukri knife, you know, with the like that blade, that leaf shaped blade that yeah. you get. Yeah. Anyway, um, one way or the other, um, pretty soon blonde beard guy is coming back in to one assumes find and kill or find yeah. and you know, bring out Claire. Um, and he's got a thumbprint of blood on his forehead. So obviously, you know, Zephyr is being like, here, take this, you know, do this in memory of me, yeah. you know? Um, and there's a long sequence, quite suspenseful, where um, Claire goes up into the, into the roof, uh, manages to go through the vents, gets up into the attic um, and uh, eventually manages to hide herself behind something and just jump out and wail on the dude yeah. with the baseball bat and kills him. Um, and it's interesting because I don't remember seeing the sign that said hell um, when she did that. And, she, and that's where it appears later on. Oh, so there's so sort of some psychogeography kind of things disappearing yeah, type stuff going exactly. on. Exactly. And it's almost like because she does it in front of the giant goat's head, it's almost like she like they've tricked her into sacrificing this guy. They've tricked her into damning herself by yeah, committing. I mean, that's not you know, it's it's so open ended, it could be something like that. 
Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, uh, and at this point, we're like, oh, that's why later you have blood in your hairline. <laughs> When you when you're talking to the 911 operator with uh, who, who's who's very obviously Lin Shay. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Either that um, or the worst 911 operator in history. Well, I'm yeah. You know, given that at one point she says, "You won't believe what this bitch is telling me." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, somebody. yeah, that's true. It's it's <laughs> probably against protocol. Yeah, um, I'm fairly certain. Fairly certain, yeah. So, um, yeah, the giant black goat on the wall. Yeah, they, I, mean, I guess well, let's go into the uh, the smoke monster. Yeah, okay, okay, so. If it is real or not. At one point, she finds a giant um, shrine to, one assumes, Satan in um, the attic that she's hiding in when they all rush into the, uh, rush into the building and try and find her. Um, And, you know, it's, it's got like all these candles, um, all these concrete blocks in a semicircle up on the top is a severed goat's head. Yeah. And um, as she's looking at the severed goat's head and the shadow that it's casting another shadow also with horns (laughs) and ears and you know shoulders like a goat rises up behind her and you know again amazing amazingly beautiful um evocation of something supernatural but you know let's face it she blacked out at some point. They could have fed her full of meth. They could have fed her full of all sorts of things in the woods. Is she, is this real or is it not real? You know, um, she then feels like something is hunting her through the building. And, you know, it's like we flipped from daylight to night to daylight to night, back and forth, back and forth several times, um, you know, and we get uh, shadows cast on tattered, you know, um, plastic sheeting. We get uh, shadows cast on the walls. We get a kind of groaning, growling noise. We get her freaking out and running through the, tun- through the tunnels. Yeah. We, we get those tunnels apparently having been filled in, even though Rusty told her that he got through them to the other building, you know, um, or from the other building. Right. Uh, she has to climb up out of um, a grate uh, and loses her baseball bat. She can't even, you know, loses her weapon. She can't, she has no weapon against this creature. Yeah. Um, and... You know, she discovers that the people who've been hunting her have been murdered, you know, Um, even Zephyr, who's apparently had his, you know, eyes pulled out. Um, At one point, the same shadow gets cast on the front of the building and it's huge. Yeah. And we also get the smoke creature, the smoke version of this creature apparently coming up out of the out of the ground it reminded me 
more than anything else um, of a really well done version of um, the demon from uh, Jacques Tourneur's uh, Night of the Demon oh, or Cooks yeah. of the Demon. You know, I mean, when that starts to appear, it's wonderful. And then the thing actually appears and it looks like, you know, like a gigantic toad with right, 50 yeah. horns on a bicycle. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, this, it's like they go halfway into showing you it and then they stop. And it's great. It um, is, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think probably some of that was budgetary, but it was also a wise choice. Absolutely. So there, there are basically three possibilities here, right? And one is that um, this is a hallucination she's having because right, they yeah. shove full of drugs and she's traumatized like shit. Um, the second one is that this is the demon that they have been praying to, but why did it kill them? The third possibility is, if so, the third possibility is that they have been pretending to pray to a demon, um, pretending to be per performative, you know, Satanists, yeah. but actually they're just meth cooking creeps. And, um, and her participation in this because because of her sort of purity and because of her faith in you know and her her weird sort of faith in uh her love for jack even if jack isn't worth loving um that she and her participation has summoned this thing and that's why it's real interested in her, but it's not interested in anybody else. Yeah, it could be any of those. Yeah, it could be any of those. Could be a combination. You know, um, I am, yeah, absolutely. I totally, totally impressed by, um, you know, usually this is where things fall down, but no. Yeah, because often uh, there's the desire to really show... I think more than is necessary in terms of the monster or the plot. You know, there's, I mean, I love Stephen King, but this is sort of a Stephen King thing where it's like, mm -hmm. you know, okay, we, we got to actually explain what happened or people will be mad. Um, <laughs> which is well, usually I when mean, stuff falls apart. Cause it's like, well, this is overtly what happened and I'm spelling well, it out which, now. Which I find so weird anyways, because he's also the guy who said that if you keep the door shut, the bug. Right. And dance macabre, he like literally knows the yeah. way to do it, and then he just goes against it. Yeah, he's like, ah, yeah, but I'm no good at that. <laughs> well, I mean, there's something also about the mass market quality where it's like the wider the net, the more simplified and kind of rounded off you need to make it. So now apparently she's being hunted by a demon. Right. Um, and it's around this point, um, a little before it really, where uh, she remembers like her last interaction with Harrison. Um, you know, she's gotten him a, a smoke. Uh, it's going to be his last cigarette, essentially. And um, he says to her, um, you know, there's no destiny in life, Claire. It's just a maze of choices. We make them. And you have, you know, you have your choices to make. You got to make them good. That's all. Be careful. I love you. Yeah. And um, I, I think that we're supposed to see him not as God per se, but as a person inhabited by 
God or the better things about life, the better things about reality. You know, it's like, if you think back on this, maybe this will be helpful to you. And um, when I, when I look at the, when I look at the structure of pines, there's a lot to be said for the idea that, you know, there's a line by Hildegard of Bingen that despair is the only true sin. Yeah. And there's a lot of despairing, desperate people um, like living in a world of despair in this, in, in this film. And I, and I think that to some degree, what it's kind of saying is that um, the damnation is also a choice. Yeah, I think that's, you can, that is, you can yeah. choose to accept it as your destiny. You can choose to, you know, accept the idea that, you know, love is useless and the world is hell. And, you know, that Gnostic idea that, you know, it's like the flesh is, the flesh is a trap and, <laughs> and magic doesn't even set us free. You know, it's like nothing sets us free. I know, you you know, can also like, see it the other way that was really dark and it being like mm -hmm. this old man. Yep. who she loved very much, said, you know, all you should do is make good choices. And then what does she instantly go and do? Make some of the really worst choices, choices a person can. Terrible choices, yes. You but know, no, I um, do think there is something to, when he cuts in, it tends to be in yeah. really traumatic times. So I think she's, at the very least, using his memories to sort of like try to off. get through. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, to, to fend off despair in a lot of ways. And, yeah. you know, that line, uh, the Dostoevsky line that, you know, she, uh, she reads to him and he gives her the book that she reads from, uh, which is the brothers Karamazov. Um, and, you know, the idea that you, you, you will burn and then you will burn out, um, and then you will heal and then you will return um, you know, that nothing needs to be the end. Yeah. I mean, I would like to wrap things up pretty soon, but what do you think of the yes. very last shot? So basically. Well, it's, a, it's a good question because, okay, so she's, you know, she's essentially looking at the smoke demon descending on her. She's right. fallen over a cliff. She has a I compound think she broke fracture. Her leg. Yeah. She has a compound fracture. We see it sticking out of her uh, out of the meat of her leg. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's not possible for her to run away anymore. Um, indeed, the the rabbit that she sees a couple of times, which I guess we're supposed to think is kind of like her. Right. Is dead next to her. So she Renner, starts laughing. Yeah. 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 She's yeah. It, it, it's great. She starts, uh, you know, she 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 cries and she screams and she laughs. It's very uh, end of in, in the mouth order. of madness in terms of the just so cracked that you're just laughing. Yeah, exactly. And she and she looks up at it and she and she yells, "You're not real. You're not real." And it continues to move towards her, and she kind of turns almost like she's flinching, yeah. but almost also like she's just. I'm going to turn my back on you and you will disappear. And suddenly, bang, she's like in a memory, another memory, just some moment of happiness. Yeah. Some... And the sun is shining and she's in a kind of pastoral setting. Yep. Yeah. You know, so like, again, it's like maybe, you know, Jack's dead. Jack lost all his teeth. He lost his soul, you know, 
um, you cannot, even if you pay the price, it's not going to bring Jack back from the dead. Right. You know? So was that useless? Was your love useless? Did you pour it down a hole? You know, um, and it's almost like, no, because you can choose to live in that moment. You can choose to go to that moment. It's all, maybe that's what heaven is, you know? Yeah, like, I was going to say, you could almost it see it like also it. as perhaps she was killed by the demon and then like yeah. during the process of where her soul would go, she yeah. just turned toward the light. Yeah, you know, and that's not, I mean, I realize that people are likely to say, all right, you know, blah, 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 you know, but I, I like it. Yeah, I do like it. It's, it's not overtly Christian. No, no. It is I, yeah. far more like, you know, this, I this, mean, you could this almost is see a, it as Buddhist practically. About, it could be just a rebirth type of thing. Yeah, exactly. This is a story about free will. Yeah. Because free will is what drives choice. And you can choose well and you can choose badly, but it's your choice. You have free will. You know, that's what supposedly angels, you know, um, envy about us. That's right. what supposedly the devil envies about us. I mean, again, I, I really do see a very Gnostic kind of slant to this whole thing. You I know, um, it, it really does have that you know, general sense that, you know, the world is hell. It was, you know, the flesh is a trap that was set for us by some evil archon, you know, uh, every minute of pleasure that we get in this world is just to keep us having children and, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, uh, sentencing more people to more pure souls to, you know, be stuck into mud bodies, <laughs> decaying mud bodies to feed the evil archon of the world. You I mean, know? I do like the, you know, there are, even though they're very bleak moments, there are moments of this sort of joy in the film, mostly yeah. when she's talking to this older man that's, um, you know, nearing the end of his life. And he, he seems, you know, he doesn't seem too bad. And it's nice to see that juxtaposed with all of the really heavy, like, oh my God, I'm going to die, typical horror movie yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing he ever says to her is that she's a nitpicker. <laughs> yeah, they have sort of a playful, he likes to, like, you know, lovingly make fun of her. Yeah, exactly. Almost flirtatious. But not in a creepy way. Right, um, yeah. Relationship. And, yeah, there's something very... Yeah, there's, there's like, there's like a, a thread, like a gold thread that's running through it. Yeah, yeah. And... And so, really, that ending... It doesn't quite come out of nowhere because we've had these moments with this older man. Exactly. That have been sort of this like light to juxtapose the darkness. Yeah. And if you want to think that this is just her reverting to, you know, uh, whatever it is she had for Jack, you know, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's Marcellus Wallace's soul in a briefcase. Yeah. Whatever. But, at the same time, I prefer to think not. I prefer to think that it's something a little more, yeah, I a like little it. more immediate and truthful, you know. Yeah, I, I like to think that too. But anyway, I think that's going to wrap it up. Um, I think so too. So one way or the other, Pines is a fucking great film, and yeah, I would, um, I would definitely recommend it. 
Yeah, you know, it's like go to Tubi, watch it right now, um, you know, look for it. Uh, I really hope that these people who, you know, it's like, was it Una? Was it this other guy? Whoever made this, I hope that they make other movies. I really hope they make other movies because it's very, very good. And I, um, uh, I am extremely, uh, uh, extremely grateful to, I believe it was Chris Burke who reviewed this and attracted my attention to it. Yeah. Um, so one way or the other, I'm really glad I saw it. Yeah, yeah. I appreciated that it was under two and a half hours as well. Because it seems like every big budget movie I watch nowadays, like the shortest are like two hours and 15. And I'm just like, do we need movies this? I mean, whatever. That's I don't want to go into it because that could be another yeah, hour. Let's, but, let's, not, let's not go into it. Uh, right. But needless to say, I appreciate that it's a shorter film. But yes, um, you know, uh, it is that's another thing that makes it a very good noir it's it's real whip fast yeah there's definitely it's there's no point in this film that felt like we're just trying to pad the runtime yeah yeah no not not a single moment feels like that no um so yeah that's gonna wrap it up um we're on twitter at celluloid sits anchor.fm slash celluloid sits and um yeah i'm gonna be trying to update the podcast a little more regularly i've been working on uh books for my press nictitating books so and then obviously december i'm not really in new mexico i'm in massachusetts visiting my family so that's been what the delay is about but hopefully i'm going to get back on the horse and get you guys some more guys and girls everyone some more content um so yeah Gemma, thanks for coming on cool thank you for having me yeah um yeah until next time you know keep your teeth in your head (laughs) until next time ask what the fucking debt is and don't say yes or no until you know